welcome to uh, a podcast for Thorax on smoking in the young. Uh, my name's Ian Payward. I'm a co-editor of Thorax, and I'm delighted to uh, be talking to John Britton, who's a chess physician and epidemiologist and the director of the UK Centre of Tobacco Control Studies at the University of Nottingham. Uh, John, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about your involvement in smoking? Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for inviting me. Um, I got involved in smoking just because as a chess physician for many years, it just seemed that everybody I was seeing in clinic or on the wards was there because they smoked. And um, we spend an awful lot of time worrying about how to treat these conditions caused by smoking, but certainly then and to a degree now, very little time worrying about how to prevent them in the first place. And so I just became increasingly drawn into research and policy work to try to cut down the prevalence of smoking. Yes, and you were involved in the Royal College of Physicians Working Party on Smoking, is that, is that right? Yeah, you I chair the College of Physicians Tobacco Group, and we've produced reports on on various aspects of, of smoking policy and treatment over the last 10 years or so, some of which have had some fairly substantial impact. Uh, and there's things changing now as a result of some of that work. I think one of the frustrating things is just how long it takes, but it does happen. Yes, yes. Uh, one must continue to chip away at these things. Um, the October issue of Thorax um, is a, uh, a special issue devoted to smoking in the young, and we've got a number of very strong uh, papers address, addressing different aspects of this uh, very important uh, topic, including one paper from the uh, UK Centre of Tobacco uh, Control Studies in Nottingham, um, and I think, John, you were the senior author on this uh, paper, or at least were involved. Uh, would you like to tell us more about it? Okay, well, yes, uh, the, that work actually came as a result of, of one of the College of Physicians reports that we mentioned earlier. What the study was designed to do was to measure how much of an impact parents and other family members smoking has on the risk of taking up smoking among young children. There's been a great deal of interest in the effect of passive smoking as a health trigger or an ill health trigger, but not the behavioural effect. And so we um, searched the literature and carried out a meta-analysis of, of what was out there um, because many studies will measure family smoking in others in relation to other potential causes of smoking uptake, but it's rarely the main focus of interest. And what we showed was that depending on the family member, the risk varies, but it's a very consistent effect. And generally, a child that grows up in a family where one or more people smoke is twice as likely to become a smoker, him or herself, which, of yeah. course, has huge long-term implications for their health and which we estimate accounts for that familial influence we reckon accounts for about 20,000 new smokers before the age of 16 in the UK each year. So it's a substantial impact on, on children's health. Yes, and um, w this uh, study was highlighted in the uh, airwaves section of Thorax, which we renamed Smoke Waves for uh, this issue. And a comment was made that um, we should be more proactive in screening for uh, home 
tobacco exposure, perhaps by doing urinary cotinine measurements in uh, young children in the same way that we assess blood pressure, for example. And that uh, maybe our, our response to exposure to tobacco at the home should be um, um, more significant as well. What are your thoughts on this? I entirely agree with that. Um, I think passive smoke exposure of children uh, is even more neglected than active smoking by adults with disease, respiratory disease has been. Um, there's been work from Australia and elsewhere around for more than 10 years now showing that parents who bring their children to hospital with a disease that they know may well have been caused or exacerbated by smoking do so expecting to be challenged about their smoking and would welcome help but that doctors tend to step back and be frightened of causing confrontation or inflaming what's already potentially quite a stressful and upsetting situation yeah. by addressing this behavioral thing so i think it's crucially important that we start screening children for passive smoke exposure and particularly if they're consulting because of a disease that could well have been caused by that and there, there are very effective interventions to help parents stop smoking um, which are basically the same as, as those that you use for anyone else and as i've said the evidence is that a majority of parents in those circumstances will welcome the support yes and it really is an opportunity perhaps uh to make a big difference, uh, so uh, uh, something that we should be much more proactive about. Um, there are other interesting studies in the uh, October issue, including um, three studies addressing um, a very important topic of uh, smoking in films and TV programs. Um, and John, I know you've uh, you've looked at these uh, papers and that you wrote an editorial. Um, uh, what, what are your thoughts? What are the main messages and uh, implications of this work? Okay, well, we've known f for a long time that um, there's a lot of smoking in films, and there's very good evidence from elsewhere around the world that children who, who see that imagery are more likely to become smokers themselves. Now, that's well documented, and the World Health Organization recognized that as a cause of smoking uptake a few years back now. These are the first studies to provide direct evidence for the United Kingdom. Um, there's a study from Scotland showing that uh, if you allow for repeated viewings of films, then the impact of that exposure increases substantially, so demonstrating an exposure response effect. There's a study from the uh, Avon Alsbach cohort, which controls for just about every confounder imaginable and still shows an effect of exposure on, on smoking behavior. And there's a European study which shows that this effect is much the same in half a dozen European member states, so showing that it's not a, a context of particular local confounders that's responsible for this association. It's something that's consistent across different cultures. So these are three papers which are saying what we already know, but saying it in new populations and new contexts and defining the, the extent of the risk that bit more closely. And there's a meta-analysis in one of those papers that just brings all of the previous evidence into one place. So it's more of a restating of the risk, but it just 
highlights the importance of this area of over-promotion of cigarettes. And the, the difficulty is that because the imagery that is driving this behavior is just smoking, it's not branding necessarily, it doesn't count as advertising. Yeah. And, uh, and that's how I think it ends up in the films, and it ends up there at very high levels, and particularly as our own work also published in Thorax a year or so ago shows, particularly in films aimed at in the 15 or the 12A categories. Yeah, and uh, you know, when I'm aware of it, um, Mad Men, which is a hugely popular American series that everyone smokes, and I can't watch the program because I, uh, you know, I feel sick <laughs> and <laughs> cough from just watching so much smoking. What can be done about this, John? What, what realistically? I mean, a lot of uh, what we should be interested in is legislation that will make a difference. So low-hanging fruit. Um, interventions that will make a very, uh, you know, important and preferably quick difference. So what, what, what can be done about this? I think the answer is pretty simple, actually. I mean, there is, it is a contentious issue because there, will, there are those who will argue quite rightly that, uh, first of all, that children who see smoking in films are perhaps watching films that are aimed at older age groups and are perhaps more rebellious and adventurous in other ways. And although you can try and adjust for that, it's hard to get rid of it altogether in studies. So there may be some truth in that, but I don't think that explains the effect away. Hmm. And then secondly, there's the argument that smoking in the 1960s was was the norm for most men. And so films or TV shows that are set in that era are justified on historical accuracy to include that smoking. Mm. And I can personally see some uh, credibility in that argument. But then if we look through what's in the context of most smoking in films is that it isn't that. It's gratuitous, unnecessary smoking, like smoking in Avatar set 150 years in the future. Yeah smoking in in movies that are clearly aimed at teenage girls Mm. so the solution for that is for our film classification process which in this country is the british board of film classification to make it clear to filmmakers that the norm would be to give a film that contains smoking an 18 certificate just as it would if it showed injection intravenous drug use or or over explicit sexual scenes And it would then be up to the filmmaker to make the case as to why smoking was particularly appropriate for a younger age group to see, which, if there was a very strong historical context, might be a reasonable argument. And it could be a health promotion film that includes smoking, for example. But generally, that should be the approach. The evidence is that filmmakers are acutely aware of the age classification that they're likely to get for their film and they manage the content of the film extremely carefully to make sure they hit the right one so Mm. they will add things to make sure they get a 12 or a 15 or take them away to make sure the film classification comes down to the the age group they think is going to watch the film and if filmmakers know that smoking is going to get them an 18 unless they can argue strongly otherwise the gratuitous smoking will disappear overnight so this might actually be a very quick win. It uh, could be. It yeah. involves the BBFC changing its policy. Its declared policy is to give 18 certificates to or to protect children from hazardous and harmful exposures, which this clearly is. Um, 
they will argue, as they have to us when we went to see them, that it's if they do that, then the uh, filmmakers themselves will go into uproar and will complain to the government and the BBFC, which is a, a voluntary film industry-funded self-regulating body, will just be prevented from classifying films. And that then uh, some other solution would have to be brought in. Um, I don't personally believe that that's true. I mm. think that if the government took a fairly strong line, it's the government that gives that role to the BBFC. I think if our Department for Culture, Media and Sport were to say, well, things have got to change, the message would get back to the filmmakers and they would toe the line. I also think that if the UK took the lead in this, there are many other countries around the world that would follow suit. Mm. And I think uh, that legislation, or carefully crafted legislation, can make a big difference. It can work, as we found out from smoking in public places and uh, another paper in this issue of Thorax looking at the impact of raising the legal age of access to cigarettes from 16 to 18 in 2007. And uh, Militinol uh, have assessed the impact of that on smoking in uh, younger teenagers and have estimated that uh, it's led to a one-third reduction. So uh, legislation can help and can work. And so uh, we really need to keep pushing hard on this. Uh, do you have any plans, John, or any uh, ideas on how we can move things forward? Well, we've on film, we've argued very strongly with the government, uh, and we argued for this issue to be included in the tobacco control plan that the coalition government published in March. Unfortunately, the only commitment they were prepared to make as a consequence was to hold a meeting between uh, the BBFC and culture, media and sport and other interested parties to see what could be done. And as yet, that meeting hasn't happened and a date hasn't been set. So at the moment, what can be done seems to be very little. Mm. Unfortunately, our, well, our government at present is averse to the idea of legislation to control behaviour. They are much keener on self-regulation and discipline and, and responsibility. Um, legislation isn't always the right way to do something, and legislation only works if there's popular support for it. Mm. So, you know, if, if people don't want, generally don't want to obey laws, they don't. So there is a there's two sides to the argument. It is important that the public is aware of this problem and generally supportive of, of a solution to it. But I think there is support out there and I would urge the government to go down this route, tell the BBFC to do its job properly. Uh, well, um, I think we all endorse that. And I, I want to thank you, John, for uh, giving us the time to run through these important studies. And hopefully this additional evidence will um, uh, will move us a, a, a little nearer um, the direction that you, you outlined. Uh, um, and uh, I would encourage all listeners to uh, have a look at the October issue of Thorax because uh, I think this is important work. And also it highlights an area where we should be able to make a difference. Uh, thank you very much.